1: Not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30 minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. Store in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy.
3: Julie Chavez is the author of Everyone But Myself, a memoir. This is one of our Zippy books, and I am so proud of Julie. Julie was in Zippy's book club from the very beginning, basically, which we started in March of 2020 alongside Megan Reardon Jarvis, who already had a book come out. But Julie and I used to chat in the Zooms on the book club and got to know each other, and I just loved the way she wrote and her sense of humor. And I asked about her having a book, and she had sold a book, but Ended up getting the rights back, selling it to us, and now it's become this wonderful, fabulous, relatable memoir, which you all must read. It's for anyone who is tired of taking care of everyone but themselves. So for anyone who feels that way at all, which is like everyone, you have to pick this up. And it's really funny. Julie is an elementary school librarian in Northern California. Though thousands of books pass through her hands each month, Everyone But Myself is the first one written by her. Julie lives with her husband and two tall teenagers in a house where she arranges her books by color. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Everyone But Myself, a memoir.
1: Zivi, I'm so, <laughs> so honored, so excited. I was... This is—it really is such a full-circle moment, so thank you for having me.
3: Oh, so the reason, listeners, why Julie and I are both kind of freaking out at this moment is because of our whole story of how Julie became a Zippy Books author, how we even became friends and colleagues and whatever else you want to say. And and now it's, like, become a book, and the book is coming out. And anyway, you tell it. You, you tell it, Julie.
1: <laughs> I am—I love hearing you say that. I think— Yeah, I was— The thing that's neat for you and I is that when this book started, so there was a manuscript that I had developed with a coach named Brooke Warner, who's lovely. And I had been working a little bit with She Writes Press, which is her hybrid press. And as part of sort of the beginnings of the book, I joined your book club. And I was so charmed by the community there. And of course by you. I mean, it just And it was so special for me too, because up until that point, I didn't realize I could hear from authors like that. I mean, it truly was like a new thing that I could ask them questions because for people that don't know your virtual book club, you know, we talk the first half hour, just the attendees and the people who've read the book. And then the author comes for the second half hour, which is just such a fun premise. And it made it so close. So then it feels like, you know, you and I developed a friendship, and then suddenly you were starting your publishing company. And it just was such an exciting time for me and such a lightning strike kind of of various things that fell into the place or fell into place right at the right time. And then so since then, just being part of the Zibby Books universe is so fun and your universe and moms don't have time to read books. So yeah, it's so fun.
3: And you ended up guest hosting so many of my recent episodes. So thank you for that. You're it's amazing. True.
1: <laughs> well, it has been my pleasure. I love. And that's something that I totally put to you. Like I should have mentioned that as part of my publishing journey, you know, I hosted Ask a Librarian for about a year and a half and I got to just find this totally new part of me that I loved. And that is a really special thing, you know, once you're in midlife to find new sides of yourself, new things that you enjoy doing. I mean, what a gift. So it's been so fun. Yes. So all the listeners, I'm sure, that have been listening to me on the other side, now it's a real full circle moment for them as well. And I'm sure this will be marked in their calendars with like, you know, oh, a sure. heart, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, it feels right.
3: They could yeah. just put it on repeat, actually, in their <laughs> It could just every day start again with this. Maybe they'll learn just, something new this time. <laughs> just to hear our voices in this
1: Totally. I'm going to do that to torture my children, actually. Just put my <laughs> voice on repeat. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, going like it when, when it
3: gets stuck in the car and you're like, sorry, I don't even know why this is there. For so long, I always had this Aerosmith song. Any time we got in the car, this Aerosmith song from iTunes would come on. And I'm like, I don't even like Aerosmith. I don't even know why or where it came from. And I couldn't get it to stop. Now it stopped, but...
1: It's because traumatize. it started with a. We yeah, have a similar yeah. yes. It's that happens every time, and we have a horrible song that comes on. I need to change it and name something else annoying. A. I don't know. Yeah, we'll put that. So on now our we'll list put this things podcast, to do.
3: This, this podcast <laughs> file will now be the A in everyone's Apple iTunes library, so we can come on. Okay. Anyway, everyone but myself, please tell listeners yes. what your book is about.
1: I would love to. So this book is about a season of severe anxiety and depression that I weathered in 2018 after I spent too long caring for everyone but myself. I am a mom of two boys. I'm a wife to a husband I really like. (laughs) I work at a library. And it was a time where I had forgotten that on the list of people that I love and care about, my name should be on there as well. So I had neglected myself for too long. There were consequences to that self-neglect, and they came in the form of anxiety and depression. So this book really is the story of my way back from that edge, from finding ways to care for myself again, to connect to my feelings, to do all these basic things that I had forgotten how to do. So, you know, this is a story of someone you know. If it's not your story, it's very familiar. I think most readers will find it really relatable, if nothing else. Yes,
3: and you have a wonderful sense of humor and a great voice. And having you tell any story is really just a
1: true pleasure. So, Oh, thanks, than Vivi. That's yes. good to hear. I And I hope that there is humor in this book. And I think there is. And that is totally down to so many of the editors I worked with, especially Jordan Blumetti, who I worked with, and Bridie Lavero-Clark as well. They were amazing and really helped me understand that I could be funny on the page without it being— totally cringy and awful. So Mm -hmm. that's a real gift. There you go.
3: Yeah. And and, I mean, you've always had this wonderful newsletter, by the way, Julie writes words. Your newsletter is really one of my favorites. You always have something interesting to say, and it's always one I I read, which I get like a trillion newsletters because now I feel bad. Now that I know that people know when you unsubscribe, I feel like I can't
1: unsubscribe to anything anymore. Right. It's so true. So now you're just stuck in this vortex of you will be receiving every newsletter until you die. Pretty much, but I, I do,
3: <laughs> and yours is great. <laughs>
1: well, I'm honored. I love I love writing it. That has been a surprising joy. I love connecting with people, and it really is just, you know, this is normal life, and it's happening all the time, and falling apart, and being put back together constantly, and so how we navigate that is always of interest to me.
3: So talk a little bit about the inciting incident for your anxiety, what happened, and and really, how you were able to put, pull yourself back, which tools did you end up
1: ended up helping you the most? yeah so the inciting incident it's basically it starts in November of 2017, if we're going back. But this is, I feel like for a lot of people with anxiety, the presenting problem is not usually the root problem. So you start sort of in a place. So my first panic attack happened in spring of 2018. But in 2017, the boys and I had been going to immunotherapy injections because I'm a person with crazy allergies and I gave that on to them they're welcome. So, but their bodies are perfectly primed right now for all of this intervention. So for people that don't know, they're commonly called allergy shots. So you go and you get an increasing dose of the things that you're allergic to so that eventually your body won't respond to them. So we're having these allergy shots, everything's going fine. And then one day I had what's called a systemic reaction. So I basically your body fully freaks out. And this is something that can happen because you are intentionally exposing yourself to things that you are allergic to. So you're injecting it into your bloodstream. It's not, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Sometimes people will have a systemic reaction and then they go back to getting the allergy shots and it's no problem for them. But for me, it scared me so badly. I was terrified. I just lay on this table shaking because they give you epinephrine to help stop the reaction and prevent it from becoming anaphylactic shock. But that makes your body feel like you've had 18 cups of coffee. And so it's, it's just a stressful experience no matter what. But for me, I really just, it really opened up a fear of death that I already have. And that has been especially acute since becoming a mom. And I know I'm not the only person who struggles with that. And I have also you know, experiences with early loss and then also experience with my husband losing his mother when he was a teenager. And so there were so many things that really tied me to that fear, but I didn't deal with that. I just kept moving because I had baseball pants to wash and you know, people had to have rides and things had to be done. And I had just gone back to work. So I had taken this 30 hours at the library and plopped it on time of, or on top, excuse me, of being a stay-at-home mom. So, you know, you fast forward a few months to where I'm seriously depleted, I'm exhausted. Mondo had been traveling a ton and we went to the sports park and I had a very normal allergic reaction to the pollen that was present in the spring at my son's baseball game. And then suddenly I was terrified. It was just one thought that was, oh, maybe you messed up your system with those shots and now you're going to die just because, you know, the leaves are blooming And that was enough for me to spiral. And I was actually in that bed. It's so weird. But I was sitting there all night with the light on. And I just was terrified. And I call it in the book, the night I couldn't turn out the lights. Because I was convinced that I was going to die. Mondo was out of town. I was worried about the boys. And it was really my first experience like that of, I am stuck in this fear and I can't get out. So. I have this panic attack and then I wake up the next day and I call the allergy doctor. I mean, I do all the things. That's the thing is that normally I think I had ways of managing my stress or my fear. And then, so I start deploying those and none of them are working. And instead I felt like I just was constantly abuzz with anxiety. I was, it was like someone had flipped a switch and I was on, I was shaking. I was just really stressed, but because I am a mom. I could set all that aside and basically panic all day long while I read books to the children and while I gave my kids rides. So it it started to continue to amp up. And as I'm deploying more tactics to try and get it to stop, that's not happening. And so eventually I ended up, it was actually on Mother's Day that I realized things were sliding too far, too fast. And so I began to become terrified of the anxiety itself. It's just a cycle. And so luckily at that point, well, I had gone to my gynecologist. She she said, quit your job. And everyone asks like, why the gynecologist? But I just didn't really have another doctor at the time. And I think that's very common for a lot of women because, you know, you go for a while. And also I had pretty severe postpartum baby blues bordering on depression. And my gynecologist was the person that saved me. Dr. Wells was the one who had said, what do we need for you? She saw what I was going through and she understood. So that was where I started, but that ended up being a wrong move and just giving me another doubt. So I'm realizing this Answer is going on really long. I I will really have to learn how to tighten this puppy up.
3: We have a whole podcast. You don't in this in this format. You do not have to tighten it up. If this was a five minute broadcast, (laughs) you would fail. You would just pick up the show. But this is totally (laughs) appropriate for
1: the format. Okay, good. I was
3: actually, you know, hanging on your every word because. Well, first of all, I also have terrible allergies. I went through years of allergy shots. I don't think they've worked. I feel like I should go back. I had all these new adult allergies. It's so annoying. I have also, like, blessed my kids with all of my allergies, and I feel kind of guilty about that. But anyway, so it's – like, your experience, everyone is just, like, one step away from having it.
1: Yes. I think what you're saying is exactly – When you read this book, that's the thing. When I tell this story, you know, there aren't many remarkable moments or anything that you're going to read and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. You actually can believe this happened because it is one of those things that's just, we are all so close. And also for so many of us, especially people who are caring for someone else, whether Mm -hmm. your mom or whether that's your job, we are often so burned out that we don't realize it until something happens. To break the camel's back. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you're in basically a free fall. And so that was why for me, you know, I started scrambling to find help. It was hard to find a therapist and it's even harder now, unfortunately. Luckily there, I feel like some of the resources that are out there now are filling that hole. So that's great. But this Mm -hmm. was 2018. So, you know, we weren't using Zoom. There wasn't a lot. I mean, some people were, but I wasn't. And so all of these pieces. So thankfully I was able to get to my PA who ended up telling me that he thought I was depressed because the I wasn't able to fix my anxiety and he was very right because I'm someone that likes to control what is happening in my life and especially what's happening with me. So he did a great job and then I was able to find a therapist and luckily she was a fit from the start. So I think but also knowing that you know, when I started therapy, things got worse for a little bit because it's very stressful to open that up. So you just finding support shouldn't be as hard as it is, but it is. So that's kind of my hope too, with this book that people will have that idea, exactly what you're saying. Like we're all pretty close to Mm -hmm. needing that, but you want to find it now when things are not desperate. Because when you're in the throes of a mental health crisis, it's really not the best time to, you know, try and call people on the phone. Because I'm making, I hate making appointments just on a regular day. So doing it when you're, you know, not feeling yourself is really, it can be a barrier. And it sounds almost silly, but it's not. It is one of those things where, if you can have those supports in place, people that you know that you can go to, and even friends. I stopped talking to my friends. I, I really made a lot of mistakes that I hope that someone else can benefit from. Um, it's our. It's sometimes our brains just like working against us.
3: Yes, you should read. Maybe I'll send you my copy of Gary Goldman has a book called Misfit, and he's a comedian. He's a stand-up comedian, but he went through a major depressive episode, and it opens with just how hard it was for him to even get to his therapist appointment. Like, the a million thoughts and feelings and, like, basically the weights that he felt like were sort of holding him to the bed. He didn't say that, but I I just am ad-libbing here. But anyway, how difficult it was just to, like, navigate the traffic and get there on time and get out of the house. And when you're in one of those depressive states, the ordinary things like getting help and realizing that you need help, you know, it's all just, you know… As opposed yes. to some sort of physical diagnosis, like, oh, I, you know, I'm, some you
1: know well, anyway. Yeah. My leg fell off.
3: Exactly. Right? Thank you. Thank
1: like you. we all, we all know that you can't. You know how to deal off. with
3: that essentially. <laughs> I mean, not exactly, but yes.
1: No, but you're exactly right. There is a major hang up. And I think that's part of what I talk about in the book too, which is that until you've been there, we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And until you've been there, it's easy to assume we understand what someone's going through. And even for me, as a person who's experienced anxiety and depression, my depression has never really looked like I can't get out of bed, Mm -hmm. but it looks different. So this idea, and that's something that Mondo, my husband, and I really started to understand in this time because he didn't have any framework Mm -hmm. for what I was experiencing. And so for him, there was an element of like, Well, just stop thinking about what you're stressing about, right? Mm -hmm. Or stop being anxious, which is the worst thing you could say to a person. But when you don't know, you kind of get stuck. So that's it's it's so true. The the many barriers that exist when you are not feeling yourself, especially
3: for because I am in this camp also. I feel like high functioning Mm -hmm. depressive anxiety types, right? I can be having a day where inside I'm, you know, I can I know how to. Hide it essentially. Like I don't it doesn't flatten me, but I'm feeling it inside. And and people are probably like, Well, no, you're not, because look, you just did this like really upbeat podcast. And I'm like, you're not you can't see what's inside today.
1: Correct. Yes. For those of us that fall into that camp of, okay, I can set this aside for now, but yeah, it's there. And then you If you don't deal with it, then it reaches a point where it will begin to leak out the sides. And that's not a good feeling for it.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass***?
3: And I think, and I feel like now I should actually have you in conversation with Brittany about this. And Brittany means another Zuby Books author, because she is all about how therapists can have their own stuff going on and make them really bad therapists. And your experience, you had to, it took a while to find the right you have to find the right fit for yourself. And it doesn't necessarily, it's, it might not be the one who's on your plan, the first or the most convenient or whatever. And you have to like, keep digging and maybe you don't know what makes a good therapist. And maybe you feel like this is all therapists. Anyway, so this is another thing that I feel like your book helps people realize is, you know, find the fit for you and the, the right voices in your head.
1: Yes, you're exactly right. And that is something that is so true. And Brittany's case, which by the way, I her book I is so, I know. well, no, but I love it. And I have to say too, what I loved about her book is it's very heavy, but I've, I never felt tanked reading it because some mm-hmm. books for me are too depressing or too anxiety inducing basically, mm-hmm. but hers was so wonderful. But I think To your point, I got lucky there, and also, in a way, I was so desperate that I couldn't overthink it because that's where I get stuck, right? right? So I would be – I'm a typical person who would think, oh, you seem fine, but is there a better therapist out there for me where sometimes it can just be, hey, you're just right for now? Mm Mm-hmm. But I think, again, that's why there's an argument for doing it ahead of time, for preparing for yourself yep. and saying, I have this plan in place. I know this person understands me so that then when I'm not well, I can just go there and I I cut out all of those extra pieces. Yep. Yeah. Brittany and I can totally talk about our issues. It would be great. <laughs>
3: I love Love the issues themselves, just like, you know, finding the right person for you. Or
1: therapist issues, of
3: course. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I would love to just listen about (laughs) your issues in general. I mean, when you said earlier, like, there's nothing remarkable in here, I wanted to, like, raise my hand and be like, I totally disagree with that. I mean, you might not find it remarkable because it's your life and your feelings. But the way that not everybody can dissect the everyday and the running Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings and turn it into something that will help other people and are significant moments. I mean, you had, like, many turning points in the book, of when you realize these massively life-changing things. And that doesn't mean that you're scaling a mountain in, you know, whatever, right? The, the hurdles that most people overcome are not these out-of-the-ordinary, life-changing, visually dramatic, soon-to-be-adapted, you know, <laughs> productions. Like, most of us have, yes. like, oh, I realized that if I do this little thing, then my life is this much better— and that is really profound.
1: I appreciate you saying that. And I think you're exactly right. I see it on that scale of like what's happening to me necessarily. But I am, it was, you know, I had a conversation with Kim, my therapist at one point, And I was saying, she's such a good fit for me, which she is. But she also said, you know, but Julie, we're a good fit because of our personalities and because of all these things, but also you are naturally pretty intuitive. I pay a lot of attention to what's happening inside me and I pay even more attention now. And I think that's the thing that is hopefully good for people to know and see, because it's, I think it's so easy to forget that people among us who are high functioning still have that base layer of stress and examination. And then for those of us that are able to to look at it and then share it, hopefully that's helpful to other people because I know that can be really tough. And at that time, it was so painful for me to examine anything. So to look back and be able to do it from this perspective and then also get better at doing it in the moment has been a huge gift.
3: Well, essentially what you're doing is you're being a good friend to people who don't know they're your friends yet. Yeah. But you're just like telling your story the way you would if we were sitting down to coffee and you're like, oh my gosh, we'll listen to this, you know, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, and you yeah, write in that, no. in that tone where everybody feels like, oh yeah, we're friends now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I hope that I, that's truly some of my hope for the book, like that it can be a friend to someone because I know that. And you and I share this love where books are friends to me. I mean, there are books that are so precious to me and people, you know, I always felt like that reading, writing like Kelly Corrigan's Mm -hmm. and some of these other writers that just feel so familiar. And I feel like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I would have put it. So if I can, if this book and if I can be that for someone, I mean, then there's really nothing better than that. Yeah. Amazing.
3: I haven't even asked you this offline, but are you working on anything else these days? What are you working on?
1: What a good question you ask.
3: (laughs) So Funny
1: I should ask. Funny you should ask. That's weird. Are you in the publishing business? (laughs) Odd. So, well, this is the funny thing is that I started working on a children's book. I was sure I was going to write a picture book. And so far, it's been an abysmal failure. Like, I keep trying and I keep failing, which is great because... That is something that used to be so uncomfortable for me, not being able to do something right away is, you know, for a long time, that was like literally destabilizing for me. So the idea to think, okay, I'm just not good at this yet. And I'm really not, which is ironic because I read picture books all day, but they are so distilled and so challenging to write. It's really given me a new appreciation for these authors who can craft a story. And that includes you. I mean, mine... I, my agent was very sweet because I sent her one. She's like, uh, I don't think this really works. And I thought, yeah, you're right. But I was hoping that you would say it would so that I could stop working on it. <laughs> but she rudely did not. But By
3: the way, the whole first draft that I wrote of Princess Charming, my editor was like, uh, no. Start start away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like this is for much older kids. And I was like, not really. Like my kids are, you know, my kids liked it, you know, but.
1: Right. Well, it is. And there's that element of like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure I know. Yeah. I, I, just wrote I, it, I
3: obviously so. know more than you. you
1: know. Right. <laughs> you know. Yes. But children's books are tricky, but I have started working on a novel slowly. I have about 50 pages that I've just been tinkering with nice. and it's fun to go back in and think about, A, making everything up. I don't know if you found this to be true when you wrote blank, but I feel like, I feel mad with power. Like, I can make these people do anything. Anything can happen. I don't have to have any eye for what actually happened. And that's (laughs) kind of freeing. But then also, I'm realizing how much I respect novelists, especially who write longer books. I don't know how they keep track of everything. I mean, I know they make outlines and all the things, but I just, so... So right now I'm working on it, but it's mostly just an experiment in seeing if there's something there, which used to be like when people would tell me, oh, I wrote this book and then I put it in a drawer. That was like a nightmare scenario for me. I just remember thinking, what? I can't. (laughs) That sounds like an incredible waste of time. (laughs) So now I'm sort of doing the same thing. So we'll see. We'll see. It's mostly kind of in the magical realism rom-commy somewhere in there. Amazing. Yeah.
3: Good for you. That's so fun. That's I mean, fun. you can't
1: just show
3: up one day and write a perfect novel. Like, everyone I interview, and I'm sure you do, since you've done a lot of these interviews, like, they, you have to write practice books. Like, that's what they are. They don't feel like practice books because it takes forever. But you can't just – you know, doctors don't just, like, perform brain surgery on day one. They have to, like, go through all this training and, like, right. working on, you know, the this is such a dark analogy. I should just stop. Like,
1: <laughs> No, but you're exactly right, right? And thank God for their training, right? Yes. I would prefer yes. someone not Me too. on yeah. their first day up in yeah. the brain. But yes, you're exactly right, though. I mean, that's the thing, though, for the perfectionists among us. And I think that's the other thing I should have mentioned about this story. You are looking at a perfectionist who would not have called herself a perfectionist. And that's kind of an interesting thing, too, for all this self-awareness I have. It was also very revealing, and I think you read this in the book, to find the ways I hid from myself Mm -hmm. because we have very ingrained stories about what a certain thing looks like, and what we look like. So for me, I wasn't a perfectionist because I didn't care about looking perfect, but I definitely cared about doing everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so that was just as toxic for me to have this trait that I didn't understand. So, so much of it is asking yourself those questions. And you do, you discover so many things about you as you do anything, as you learn to write, as you learn to think about yourself as you learn all these things. So apparently everything takes practice and you have to do it forever. And that I find that super annoying (laughs) (laughs) because I just want to be good at things and then move on with my life. But apparently that's not happening.
3: Yeah. I'll I'll join the campaign for making that happen. I think that would also be very convenient. But what you said earlier about the children's book, which just like jumped out because this is a whole big thing at like the kids' school and everything, is you're like, I haven't perfected this children's book yet. And it's all of that, right? The whole power of yet, blah, 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 blah. But it's true. Yes. Like, I haven't figured out how to do this yet, but I'm working on it. And, like, we we could all benefit from just having that attitude
1: instead of being so hard on ourselves all the time. It's such a gracious way to walk through the world. And for people that don't know, you know, it's growth mindset. So this idea that you can say, I'm not good at that yet. And mm-hmm. that is just such a—and that's the thing— that I realized too in the book, like the way that I care for my kids and the way I'm attentive to their needs, I just didn't do that for myself. And so to turn it around and be able to say, Julie, you're just not good at that yet. Or Mm -hmm. that's not your strength. Or also, hey, good job. You did an amazing job at this or that. Because that's also something I'm not good at is enjoying those wins when I have them. So that is part of it as well. Like just befriending yourself, befriending who you are today and who you would like to become and believing that there's space for both of those to exist. Amazing. Well,
3: I am a hundred percent sure that there are so many people who are going to pick this up and feel much better and live happier lives after reading it. Even if it's just in these very small, as you said, little by little, these small steps that they can implement and just knowing that you're out there and that they are not alone and I am just so excited to see all these people out there taking the time for themselves that they need after reading this book and feeling the permission that basically the book is giving them to do so, and that it's not just permission, but it's actually sort of required.
1: It is required. You're exactly right. And I'm just so happy to hear that. And be thank you for all your team and all you have done and who you are to me in my world. I am just, I'm so beyond grateful. And it's a dream come true.